0: Hey, Valley 101 listeners, welcome back. I'm your host, Kayla White. We've been gathering your questions for more than two months now, and one topic keeps bubbling up, the Valley's population. It's the fast-growing population of Maricopa County. New census information shows the county is growing by 222 people daily. We know the Valley keeps growing. What we didn't know was why. Who is moving here and where are they coming from? I know one transplant is my boss, Katie O'Connell, who moved here from Milwaukee.
1: Hey everyone, glad to be here and to add to the population. Katie, you started looking into this question a few
0: weeks ago. What did you find?
1: Well, not only did I discover the enormity of the Valley's population, but I found out why we became so large. I thought it was gonna be hard to pinpoint, but decade by decade, there are actually really specific reasons. And to start answering that question, we have to go back to the 1940s, because what happens in the 40s would set the foundation for Phoenix's rapid and exponential growth. In
2: 1940, Phoenix had a population of 65,000, a small city, but small was good for most residents.
1: That small town atmosphere may have been appealing to some residents, but not to all. Take Beverly Graham, for instance. I found Beverly through her comments on the Vintage Phoenix Facebook page. She lives in a retirement community in North Phoenix, but the 86-year-old has actually been here since 1938.
3: I thought this was the worst place in the world to grow up. There was nothing to do. And my best friend's name was Beverly, also. And we used to sit over, I I met her in first grade. We're still very good friends. I met her in first, anyway. We would say, we've got to get out of this town. Beverly told me Phoenix summers in
1: the 1940s were brutal.
3: We had nothing on 17th Avenue, but the ice truck came down the street every day because we had ice boxes and delivered the ice. And my father, I remember him getting a big galvanized tub putting a big block of ice in it, putting it on a stool in the living room, and putting an oscillating fan. And we would sit there and let that fan blow cool air on us. Because my brother and I slept on a sleeping porch, and uh, it was hot. Very, very hot. And we would lay really, really still, hoping for a breeze.
1: Then life changed.
2: On the NBC newsroom in New York, President Roosevelt said in a statement today that the Japanese have attacked the Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, from the air.
4: Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live
5: in infamy.
1: To find out more about this point in history, I met up with Philip Vandermeer at the Arizona Heritage Center.
4: Uh, My name is Philip Vandermeer. I am Professor Emeritus uh, of History at ASU. Philip said that
1: World War II would change Arizona in a variety of ways. First, there are the changes associated with aviation. Arizona PBS has a series called Arizona Memories. The show catalogs life in Phoenix from the 1940s through the 1970s. Here's how that show described aviation in Phoenix during World War II.
2: Like most farming communities, the area was stable, traditional, and run by a few powerful families. But things began to change when a world war intervened. With a war to win, Uncle Sam went shopping for a place with clear skies and dry weather, where soldiers could train every day. The valley was perfect.
4: Already before the war started in 1938, the federal government wants to train pilots. And so in 1939, they set up a pilot training area in Sky Harbor. Um, And when Sky Harbor doesn't have enough facilities, they expand Sky Harbor Airport. Uh, Then they quickly build uh, airports, training fields in uh, Glendale and in Mesa.
1: That increase in military activity brought more people to the valley. And if you have more people, you need more places for them to stay. That brings us to the second change ushered in by the war, infrastructure particularly the infrastructure built by Dell Webb at Luke and William's Army Air Force bases.
4: These are major facilities, and this is really the second way in which the city gets an advantage because the leaders, city leaders, quickly figure out what they need to do. So they put together a package, they buy the land, they extend a railroad spur out to Luke, they put utilities out there, and they rent it to the, uh, uh, to the Army for a dollar a year.
2: Soon, servicemen were pouring into Army camps and newly built air bases like Luke and Williams. Fear of a coastal invasion also brought defense plants to the area.
1: Aviation and the corresponding construction boon Help bolster Phoenix's wartime development. The third step in developing the Valley? Manufacturing. The government needed to build planes, and the Valley answered that call. Soon there were manufacturing plants in places like the West Valley and Sky Harbor.
4: So this brings in 15,000 manufactured uh, workers. Um, There had been with a liberal interpretation of uh, industrial workers, about a thousand before that. So this is not that many in terms of large cities, but in terms of the nature of Phoenix, it's huge. And of course, these are people with skills and their salaries are much more significant. And it draws about 80% of the people are, are drawn from outside. So it really represents the first step in manufacturing for, for, uh, for Phoenix.
1: After years of fighting, World War II came to an end. The advances Phoenix made in terms of aviation, infrastructure, and manufacturing, well, people weren't sure if those advances would remain.
2: When the war was over, some thought Phoenix would go back to what it was before the war, a quiet little city living off tourists and grapefruit. But local boosters weren't about to let the
4: boom end. Um, By the 1950s, actually in the late 40s, the Chamber of Commerce um, decides that they need to really push an aggressive plan for transforming the city. So city leadership really focuses on trying to figure out how to attract uh, more jobs and businesses here. And they wind up being extraordinarily successful. These were also the Cold War years, which meant big
2: business for defense industries. It seemed a natural progression for Phoenix to attract the kind of high-tech manufacturers that had been so successful here during World War II. And so Phoenix pursued the so-called clean industries rather than the old smokestack variety. By the mid-50s, boosters succeeded in luring Sperry to the Valley. Joining companies like General Electric, Air Research, and Motorola.
1: That job creation was really step one in growing Phoenix's population in the 1950s. Step two would be finding the people to fill those spots. But there was a group of people who had discovered the valley during the war. Veterans. And those veterans who were stationed here started returning with their wives and children in tow.
2: America had emerged from World War II with surging prosperity. People felt free to search for a better life. Veterans who had been stationed at the Sun Belt now moved their young families to these sunny climates.
1: Those veterans would not only find jobs when they returned, but they'd find a higher quality of life.
4: There is a, an outdoor culture um, that we're familiar with And what it means is that people can hike, they can have easy access to the desert, to the mountains. There are swimming pools, everybody's building swimming pools. And the idea of not shoveling snow is wonderful. This is Phoenix. The vitality of the people may be generated here by the new pioneers. Men and women starting afresh in a new land.
2: In a decade of explosive growth, the valley was transformed by young veterans, entrepreneurs, and families on the move who took a chance on a new desert lifestyle.
1: Not to mention, we'd found ways to beat the heat by this point in history. Gone were the days of sleeping outside and hoping for a breeze like Beverly and her brother.
4: In 1957, air conditioning starts becoming more popular because uh, FHA says uh, that they will fund mortgages um, that include the cost of central air conditioning. And so it makes it much more affordable than it had been before.
1: Sure, Phoenix started exploding because veterans loved it and there were a lot of manufacturing jobs, but it's also because of air conditioning. It's so simple, but so true. The valley, like so many places, was defined by the war in the 40s. World War II brought growing aviation, infrastructure, and manufacturing to town. Those things laid the foundation for the valley in the 50s. In the 50s, we had the return of employment opportunities, the return of veterans to fill those jobs, and a rising quality of life. Here's why all of that matters. Phoenix's population had been around 60,000 people in 1940. By 1950, it was more than 300,000 people. If you're looking at the biggest cities in the U.S. by population, in 1940, Phoenix was ranked 198th. By 1950, we were 99th. We moved up 100 spots in a decade. And once Phoenix started growing, it really didn't stop. I focused a lot on the changes in the 40s and 50s since they were so monumental. For the sake of catching up to today, here's a quick look at how the valley grew after the 50s. Soon the city developed another growth tactic, annexation. The city started to expand its geographic footprint by incorporating new areas. Phoenix annexed Sunny Slope in 1959, and Maryville in 1960.
2: Phoenix used every legal loophole to annex huge tracts of land. In 1960 alone, the city swallowed 75 square miles in one bite, leapfrogging from one annexation to the next, left residents living in a bewildering mix of houses, farms, and desert.
1: After the annexation in the 60s, you had the growth and development in the 70s. In the 70s, Phil said the culture of Phoenix started to diversify.
4: Uh, Some of this has to do with different immigrant groups, some of it just has to do uh, with uh, people coming into the city with different backgrounds and different expectations. The major development really would be the 1970s when you really have more of a development of different cultural groups and associations, so theater groups. Um, The symphony really develops much more substantially. Uh, There are more musical groups that develop.
1: The 80s and 90s were a period of booms and busts. Phil said that the housing development waxes and wanes three times during the late 80s and 90s, leading to a kind of severe depression.
4: And the other thing is by the early 90s, it's apparent that this high-tech hope has really failed. Uh, That uh, the image and the expectations that people have in the 1950s is that there will be manufacturing, particularly of mainframe computers. By the 70s, you start seeing PCs emerge, um, and the firms that Phoenix has brought here um, are disappearing.
1: In the 80s, we're still manufacturing semiconductors, but Phillips said that wasn't enough to drive the economy. By the 90s, there was growing discussion about how to re-stimulate economic development. Cue the 2000s. Far and away, our biggest economic industry in the early 2000s was construction. Remember McMansions?
5: Prior to the recession, we were building somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000, 60,000 dwelling units per year. It's a crazy amount. Um, In the 90s, it was somewhere in the 20,000, 30,000 range. But 2005, 2006, 50, 60,000.
1: That was Scott Wilkin, a senior planning project manager at the Maricopa Association of Governments, also known as MAG. They take census data and help shape policies around things like transportation and air quality for all of Maricopa and Pinal counties. So in the early 2000s, the economy in Phoenix is all construction, all the time. Then the recession hits
2: going to be one of the
5: watershed days in financial markets' history. It was a manic Monday in the financial markets. The Dow tumbled more than 500 points after two- Housing dries up, and so our economic engine almost completely goes away.
1: Here's just how big of an impact the recession made. MAG compared their population projections from 2017 to their population projections from 2013. That data showed that we'd lost a decade of growth due to the recession. The population number we were originally going to hit in 2030, we won't get there until 2040. Both Philip, the historian, and Scott from MAG agreed that the 2008 recession was a wake-up call for Phoenix. After the recession, MAG started exploring the tie between transportation and economic development. Their goal was to develop and diversify the workforce. If they could figure out what kind of degrees people have and where they live, maybe they could directly target different businesses and new economies.
5: We wanted to be able to tell our member agencies Here's what you have in your in your borders or near where you near your borders. You can go out and you can tell employers, hey, we've got this many engineers. If you come and and, and open your shop here, we're gonna um, you're gonna be able to find a lot of people, a lot of potential employees.
1: Financial services and high-tech industries started moving in. You can see this now if you drive the 202 through Tempe past the state farm building. Scott said that in the West Valley around the 303. High-tech manufacturing and advanced distribution are booming. There's also a growing biomedical industry in the Valley. Philip said that had been part of the plan in the 90s, but it's really starting to take off with the growth of Arizona State University. The growth of that university, especially its downtown campus, has helped fuel growth overall. Scott says that post-recession diversification of employment and expansion of ASU really allows Phoenix to grow. This brings us to where we are now. What is the best estimation we have for the population in Maricopa County and in Phoenix right now?
5: Um, The latest estimate for Phoenix is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.5, 1.6 million. Uh, Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the country. Uh, we just passed Philadelphia a couple years ago. They weren't very happy about it. Um, our current population for Maricopa County is uh, just under 4.5 million. Uh, Maricopa County itself gets, if you if you just look at migration and not births and deaths, Maricopa County itself gets about 50,000 people moving here every year. That's 140 people a day or about five, five and a half an hour, or if somebody's listening to a 20-minute podcast, two more people just moved to Maricopa County. And if they move, listen to that podcast again, then two more people. It's um, the fastest-growing county in the country by far, and um, it's driven a lot by people moving here.
1: Scott and I looked at the data. The three largest counties people move here from are LA County, Orange County, plus Cook County, home of Chicago, and Illinois. And we're not done growing yet. This week, our show focused on Phoenix's population and how we grew to such a large city in such a short period of time. We're following up this episode with part two, the future of Phoenix. Next week, we're looking at how large Maricopa County is expected to grow and what that means. Kayla, here's a quick preview. These numbers are mind-blowing to look at. I mean, you're looking at the total resident population in Maricopa County in 2055, 6.4 million people. That is a, a crazy number of people.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing that. Before we dive into that next week, though, what would you say is the most interesting thing you learned in reporting on this week's episode? So
1: I'm fascinated by the trends that Phoenix rode to grow to what it is today. I am a World War II history buff, and I did not realize that so much of the growth in the 50s was fueled by World War II. And so that was really fascinating to me. Also interesting that after that, you've got the construction boom right before the recession, something you and I would kind of remember. And then the city kind of crawls back to life from there. It makes me really excited to see what comes next.
0: Oh, I know you love any chance to talk about World War II, and I am so glad you got it. That was really fascinating and so informative. Thank you for all that information and thanks to our listeners for tuning into Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. If you have any other questions about Phoenix's population, let us know. You can submit them at valley101podcast.azcentral.com. You can also share them with us on Twitter at valley101pod. If you haven't subscribed to our show yet, I hope this episode is convincing you to do so. You don't want to miss part two of our exploration on the Valley's population. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have part two for you next week. Catch you then.